1: Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies. And today we have a community birth story actually, it's two birth stories from the same person. I love hearing from the community and hearing how their births went. Now, this birth story or both birth stories is really from the view of how to talk about birth trauma from the birthing person's perspective. So Eliana Balk, she is a yoga teacher specializing in yoga and cancer and chronic pain and prenatal and postpartum yoga. So she does have a lot of understanding of this. And it's not just about birth trauma, but what she really brings to the conversation is how she took the experience from her first birth and used it to empower her and deeply educate herself in preparation for a second birth. She also talks about what new and expectant parents can learn from her story. So I think that while she does talk about it being traumatizing for her in some manner, there is something that I think we can all learn from. And I love that she really puts the spin about what she learned from her own first birth and took to her second and then what others can learn from her story. Now that said, I do want to say if you are particularly sensitive to hearing about birth trauma, if that's going to be a trigger, you may not want to listen to this one because I don't want to upset you in any manner that way. If you are up for it, then awesome. Take a listen, but no hard feelings if you press stop and move yourself on to the next. Before I get to that, I want to thank everyone that continues to show up on our new platform of Zoom that we have moved all of our classes on there. And it's really amazing to see how our walls have expanded to working and meeting new people well beyond New York City. So thank you for showing up. And I'm inspired that now that I see how successful this is and how amazing it is to communicate and reach to people well beyond New York City, it's something I'm going to look into to continue. Why not? Why suddenly shut these connections off just because we reopen our doors? So I'm really excited to expand into that. For the yoga teachers out there, don't forget I have an intro to teaching prenatal yoga called Who's Afraid of the Pregnant Yogi. It is perfect if you don't normally teach prenatal, but you have your pregnant student that wanders into your open level class. This will help you have the confidence of how to best serve them. I'm also wrapping up the live version of teaching the postnatal student, which I'll have available soon as well. And then we're in the middle of our 85-hour teacher training. Yeah, we had to pivot. We had to bring it online. And it's amazing. And I'm so proud of the students for what they're bringing to it. And the fall training's right around the corner. Let's face it, we don't know if it will be in person or online, but whatever it's going to be, it's going to happen. And it's going to be fantastic because we've learned to continue to take what we have and make the process even better. So if you're considering getting your 85-hour teacher training, prenatal teacher training, but you don't know what's going to happen, we are going to happen. We're going to keep going. So I'll see you there, hopefully, for those that want to take that next step in their learning. All right, I'm going to take a super quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hear Eliana's birth story. We'll be right back
0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Hi, Eliana. How are you
2: today? I'm doing well. I'm I'm hanging in there during this pandemic like everyone else. How are you? Oh,
1: how am I? I think I'm okay. I'm kind of holed up in my bedroom as my husband wrangles the kids. And so Mm -hmm. listeners, Mm -hmm. you may hear some fun noise. (laughs) I hope there's no cries or screams, but (laughs) this is life and parenthood and we're very transparent. So yeah it 's been interesting, and i 'm really excited to talk to you. Um, I liked what you reached out to me about about you know i 've done a fair amount of podcasts about traumatic births and, and processing them. In fact, recently, I did a, a, a whole podcast about processing your birth, but I appreciate that you wanted to talk about it from the birthing person 's point of view instead of kind of the, the psychological point of view of a therapist. So thank you for being brave enough to offer your story. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. So I guess let's start with, before we dive into your two birth stories, just a little bit about you.
2: Yeah, sure. So I'm a a yoga teacher and mom of two living in Hollywood, Florida. And for those who don't know, that's a city nestled in between Miami and Fort Lauderdale. And I specialize in what's called therapeutic yoga, so working mostly with people who have cancer or autoimmune illness, um, chronic pain. And uh, increasingly, though, as I've become a mother and become really interested in everything around that, I'm starting to grow my practice more towards prenatal and postpartum work as well. Um, And as I said, I have two kiddos. I have a three-year-old daughter named Maya and a three-month-old baby boy named Roey.
1: Mm, great
2: names. So Thank you.
1: let's dive. In. First of all, yay that you are leaning into the pre and postnatal because I think those communities are often underserved. So I'm really excited that the folks down in your area are getting that. So that's wonderful. So let's also, I guess, start with sharing your story. And I, does that go back? You're the one telling the stories. So is that more about talking about your first birth or your second? How do you want to let this narrative go?
2: Yeah. So it's a really good question because as my stories will show, both of my births were traumatic. Um, but I think the difference is that while the first birth was more psychologically traumatic, which I think is really when we talk about birth trauma, what's, what's often more involved, um, the second birth was physically traumatic, but less difficult in some ways to recover from. Mm-hmm. So I think I can start with the first story, and a little bit about what happened there. Do
1: you think I also want to just for be conscious of our listeners, is sure. will there be triggers? Should we warn people that this might have some triggers?
2: Yeah, so I think definitely um, if anybody is triggered by hearing about C-section, spoiler alert, (laughs) both of my births did end in a cesarean birth. Um, And then I'm also going to be talking about postpartum hemorrhage. So uh, if either of those are triggers or just if you're expecting now and the thought of hearing about a birth that was a little more difficult is triggering, um, you know, (laughs) this may not be the, the moment to hear this story. <laughs>
1: but what we are going to also talk about is the other side of processing and resolving. So that might, that might maybe help. So I just wanted to be really upfront cause I don't want to, I don't want to upset anyone.
2: So great. So let's start Absolutely. with your stories. I give you the reins. Yeah, so uh, my first birth uh, three years ago with my daughter, Maya, um, to kind of go to the end of it, it's it's called what is known as a quote-unquote failure to progress, which is a term that I kind of hate, but it's a medical term that just describes when the cervix doesn't dilate to 10 centimeters, so the baby can't be born vaginally. Um, and there were kind of two aspects to the birth that were traumatic. And and so I'm kind of fast forwarding to those because the rest of the birth was, it, it really looking back wasn't so unique. I went into spontaneous labor. Um, it was a hospital birth. And where things really became traumatic um, was one that I was very unprepared for the level of pain. And I say that because I'd heard from every family member, friend that, you know, if you had pain, you got the epidural. Like, that was presented to me as the fail-safe. And if you had an epidural birth, then you just kind of lean back on your pillows and you feel great and it goes smoothly. And in my case, um, the epidural, when I chose to get it, actually was very ineffective. And I had a really painful birth. Um, I now know that I had a baby who was positioned posterior. Uh, so I had all my labor in my back, which is kind of infamously painful and, um, it was really the kind of pain that was suffering, which is something I know you talk about in some of your other podcasts, right? The difference between pain for a purpose or Mm -hmm. pain that feels like suffering. Like I wasn't experiencing it as, oh, I'm getting closer to my baby. I was just kind of in a twilight zone where the pain was overwhelming and I didn't have a team who could support me. Um, I didn't have a doula. I didn't have, unfortunately, very supportive nurses at all. And my husband had never done this before as i hadn't and he was very overwhelmed and and probably very traumatized seeing me in so much pain so that was kind of the first part of the birth. Um, But where things sort of took a turn into what I think became the lingering trauma is that when a C-section was called, because I'd been in labor for 24 hours, I had stalled at five centimeters for 12 hours, I had a fever, the baby's heart rate was tacky, um, very fast. So uh, what was traumatic there was the C-section itself. So um, during the C-section, I didn't feel totally numb. And this Did is you now- tell sh- them that? So I started to kind of yell out in the middle of it. And I now, you know, I'm unsure whether was I actually not numb or was it my perception because no one had prepared me for the amount of pressure and pulling that you feel during a cesarean. Um, and I think that would have been really helpful if they had said, now you're going to feel a ton of pressure. So I I still don't know if it was pain or if it was a perception of something that I thought was painful, but I, you know, the thought of me feeling that was terrifying and I started to yell out, I can feel it, like help me basically. Um, So that alone was really, really terrifying. Mm -hmm. And as a result, I was given a sedative called ketamine, which is a very safe, safe, drug, um, but one that produces hallucinations. And so that was used to kind of knock me out to make sure that I wasn't feeling the pain of the surgery, um, but it can produce some undesirable effects afterward. Uh, so for me, I had uh, pretty bad hallucinations. And I know this This sounds crazy and is, is really hard to hear probably, but I hallucinated that I had died in childbirth. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So, like, true out-of-body experience, Um, and I I was shocked when I came to and realized that I was alive. Like, I mean, shock. Like, I could not believe it. So that particular point was the most triggering part of my birth, was just that experience of the grief I felt thinking that I had not made it through the surgery, Um, and that really was kind of the the sticking point um, for a while afterwards. How did you work
1: to process and heal from that?
2: Yeah, great question. (laughs) Um, So it's interesting because initially I didn't even feel that traumatized by it. Um, It's not like I was depressed in the hospital or having nightmares, but I was having a ton of recurrent thoughts about it. And what I think is such a blessing is that I started to tell my story pretty much from the get-go. And that may just be the kind of person I am, I'm pretty open about some things, I guess about things like this. And right away I started telling friends and family, like, this was my birth, this is the crazy thing that happened. Uh, and I think that is probably was probably part of my healing from the beginning, because I wasn't carrying the trauma in my body the same way as something that was secret or shameful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it, it started there, looking back, and then continuing from that, I would say sharing and finding support with other people who had been there. Um, I've actually never been in therapy for my birth. I thank God I I didn't get to a point where I needed that. I'm very grateful for that. Um, and a big part of it is that I really quickly sought out networks of people who could understand and just knowing other people had been there, maybe not with their, the exact situation of my particular crazy hallucination, but people who'd had similar stories was really comforting and normalizing for me. Um, and and then in addition, just even learning medically what had happened to me became a huge part of my journey in the intervening years between my births because it helped me um, have a vocabulary and kind of a language for what had happened. And it took it out of this like really murky, scary event into understanding what happened on a really practical level and kind of filling in those blanks that, you know, childbirth can be really like twilight zone you know, you don't. Time kind of slips away, and you don't remember parts of it. So for me, piecing together my story, talking to other people who were there, and understanding what happened has has helped me feel um, more clarity about it. Do you feel like you finally found closure with it? So I actually do. Great, and I'm. It, it's surprising for me to say that, but especially because of what happened with my second birth. But I, I do feel that I got closure because for me I as well I spent a lot of time trying to understand what had happened because I think a part of me believed that if that I somehow could have prevented it from happening. And there was probably some self-blame there. Like, oh my gosh, how did I not have the knowledge to set my birth on a better course? And there was even a point where my husband said to me, like, you know, you need to just stop blaming yourself or stop thinking that you're going to find the answer to why this happened. And at the time I couldn't do that. But now with, you know, years of perspective and knowing so much more about birth, he's right. Like I was a first time mom and what happened may have been somewhat unusual, but there are so many first time moms that wish things had gone differently. Um, and, and I guess I would say I, I forgive myself for the way it happened. And, um, you know, it's frustrating that maybe the medical system didn't support me better, that the nurses weren't the best nurses. Um, but that's where self advocacy comes into play.
1: Mm -hmm. So as you got pregnant again, preparing for baby number two, How did you get yourself to a place of confidence?
2: Yeah, so that's a a great question. Um, Knowledge was really a huge part of it and preparation and surrounding myself with a team that was expert in VBAC, which is the type of birth I was hoping for. Um, So for any listeners who don't know, that's vaginal birth after cesarean. Um, So I knew I I didn't want to go through another C-section if I didn't need to. I didn't want to recover from surgery with a toddler at home. Uh, So I knew straight away that I was hoping to have a vaginal birth, but also that I was hoping to have a more empowered birth and a more peaceful birth. So right away... I was kind of following all these steps that if you're in the the so-called VBAC world, many of us take, it's almost like preparing for an athletic event, which birth kind of is anyway. Um, But specifically with VBAC, there's really a culture of certain steps that are recommended to enhance your chances of things working out favorably. And so I found the most VBAC supportive doctor in my region. And I hired a doula, which is a labor support person, to be with me for the birth. Um, I was extremely active during my pregnancy, which to some extent I was with the first, but I also kind of gave myself like the I'm pregnant, I'm gonna relax pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the second, I, you know, I really focused on, okay, when I'm tired, I'm going to, I'm going to push myself a little bit because I'm going to be tired and labor too. <laughs> um, I really, it kind of became a metaphor for, for birth for me. And, um, I did chiropractic care and, uh, stayed in touch with a lot of other people who were on the same path through a support group in my area Um, so really, yeah, knowledge and, and preparation, but I would also say, I never felt that any of those things meant that I was going to have a peaceful, beautiful VBAC. And, um, I think that ended up being a good thing. Um, what I thought is that I was giving myself the best chance so that I could look back and know I did everything I could to try to create the best birth for myself, but I knew that there were no guarantees. That's really
1: interesting. I like that you were talking about there's no, because it's true, there's no guarantees. And I think sometimes we can get caught up in what the the birthing within methodology calls calls like the birth pie. Like I did all the things on the recipe. Mm -hmm. Why didn't the pie turn out this way? So I really appreciate that even with the preparation, which does bring confidence and can be hugely helpful. There's a non-attachment to this is how it will be. Cause, cause we never know, we never know how it will be, but I do, I'm going to take a quick break when we come back. I want to start to hear how the second birth unfolded and how your knowledge was able to support you during that. We'll take a quick break.
0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Okay, so you prepared. I
2: love that. How much preparation? Did you do (laughs)
1: similar preparation for your first birth?
2: Not at all. So with my first birth, it's funny looking back because I, I think I thought I was like relatively knowledgeable, and I laugh at that now because I'm really a birth junkie now, <laughs> and I, I really didn't know a lot. I mean, I took I took yoga, and I was already a certified and practicing yoga teacher, so I had you know some breath work under my belt, and I was I was healthy and fit, but. My knowledge was really limited, and I didn't have a doula. I didn't do chiropractic care. I didn't do spinning babies, which I became hugely into with my second, um, because I was hoping to have a, a an easier time with positioning of the baby. So it was totally different the second time around.
1: So, so you had great preparation. So I guess let's lead into your second birth story.
2: Yeah. So the the second birth, is funny, it started very similarly, um, down to the fact that I went into labor both times at 39 and plus four weeks of gestation. <laughs> so exactly the same day, both times. And both times my contraction started out of nowhere. Like there was no, there were no signs. It just, they started. And when they started, they started fast and furious. So I think I started at something like a couple minutes apart and progressed to having contractions a minute apart within a few hours. Um, So that was the similarity. Uh, And the difference was really in how things proceeded after that. So with my first birth, and I I didn't say this earlier, but we went to the hospital um, and found out that I was only one centimeter dilated. Um, e- even though my contractions were suggestive of something much more progressed than that. And we ended up staying in the hospital, which <laughs> I blame that nurse for. Because <laughs> I could not have known how ridiculous that was. But I was in a lot of pain even at that point. Um, and this nurse wanted me to stay and she may have been going on your pain tolerance. Right. You know, if you if you showed up
1: at one centimeter, I mean, who knows? I'm just, just kinda using a eagle eye here, if you showed up and they weren't that bad, but if she saw that you were in a fair amount of pain, I think they tend to assess not just from dilation, but by your, not your cope, but like the, the level of pain assessment. So I, so, um, that may have been the reason she offered to keep you.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think I even heard her say something on the phone to my doctor, like she's only at one, but like, I can't send her home like this. Mm Uh, you know, yeah, I, I I think definitely I, and I seemed maybe like someone who was going to go fast. (laughs) Um, so, um, the, the, the second time, so I went in at one centimeter, got an epidural pretty early. And then, you know, as you know, once you have that, you're immobile. Um, and with the positioning I did have a posterior baby, it led to really having a lot of interventions and ultimately stalling, um, and, and not really feeling like there was a lot I could do about it. So I guess the main difference this time is that I was really determined, um, to not let that repeat itself. I wanted to labor at home as long as possible. I wanted to use as many tools as possible, um, You know, some coming from my doula, from the mental work I had done, to try to delay that epidural, um, not at all to demonize an epidural, but simply because for me, being on one, um, you know, seemed to have been a kind of an issue uh, and it, because it didn't work. (laughs) So uh, I, ironically, I didn't end up spending that long at home anyway, because even with laboring at home, as long as I could, I I had such aggressive contractions that my midwife uh, and my doula were like, you need to go to the hospital. And I said to them like, okay, but what if it's like last time and I'm at one centimeter and they said, then you can come home if, you know, if you want to, but you really sound like you're further than that. So, uh, I, I, headed to the hospital and I was further along and then I progressed like dilated really efficiently, which was, which was interesting because that was kind of one of my fears was that my body wasn't going to do that because that was kind of that was my you know stumbling block so to speak the first time was that you know so called failure to progress. Uh, this time my body dilated beautifully and efficiently. I didn't need any pitocin. Um, but where things got tricky was when we got to pushing. Um, so pretty shortly into pushing, it was understood that baby was posterior again. And that was such a letdown for me because I spent so much time trying to prevent that (laughs) in this pregnancy. Like I practiced spinning babies, which for those who don't know is this whole technique of different um, balancing positions and techniques you can do to try to optimize the position in the pelvis. And I'd been doing that the whole time. I wasn't reclining at all. Um... I was getting regular chiropractic care, and still, there must be, maybe there's something about my body that the babies love to nestle in there in that sunny side up position, Um, but after a few hours of pushing and an increasingly high fetal heart rate, it was decided that the baby needed to be born by cesarean again. So some things were different, but then some things were the same.
1: Did you feel that knowing what a cesarean is like, or do you even have a chance? I'm mean, going okay, I'm diverting the question when you sure. before before the birth, knowing that it may the VBAC may not uh come to fruition, did you talk to your birth team about if you have a cesarean and it's not emergency mm-hmm. um, could it you know was there more of a discussion of I mean, the, your preparation, like, you know that there's pulling and tugging. What, did you talk at all about, um, like, a gentle cesarean and making it more
2: homey for you? Yeah, so we so we did. Um, I went to a practice that's one of the few locally that does gentle cesarean. Um, what was kind of sad is it turned out that my OB was out of town for the exact day that I was delivering. She was literally here <laughs> for, uh, for months, except for that one day that I delivered, she was at a conference and her backup OB um, was really lovely and sweet and did it, you know, great. But I don't think that she has that experience, I guess, with gentle cesarean. And there wasn't really the time to ask for it. Like once they started moving and, you know, you, you probably know this about about cesarean and, it, and they moved quick, mm-hmm. even though it wasn't like emergent, emergent, they were moving quick. And I was trying to find my voice to ask for some of those things. Like people were just joking around and, you know, I wanted like nice music or something, but I didn't feel quite as confident because I didn't know the doctor. So if oh, it had so. been my doctor, you know, I would have, and they wouldn't allow my doula to come into the OR. So I didn't have that person advocating for me either to say, oh, well, you know, can you do this for her? Can you do that for her? You know, plus having been up for like 24 hours. Yeah, and of so, course you, yeah. your
1: brain <laughs> is not there because you are working on birthing a person. So absolutely. I'll just say, like, I hope you don't blame yourself for not asking for that or finding your voice. No, 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 I you're don't. You're not in that. That's not where your mind is at that time.
2: You're, you're in Ab- labor. Abso- yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So no, I don't blame myself. I mean, it, it's a little bit of a shame because I, I'm fortunate enough to know that's available. And I wish... I wish that a little bit more, um, like joy and specialness could have been brought into it. But for me, uh, the real thing was going to be standing again where I had stood before and getting through it without, you know, frankly, having a panic attack. Like that was really my fear is, oh my gosh, I'm going to be laying here in this situation. That's hugely triggering. Am I going to have to be put out again and not be present for the birth of my child? And, um, what happened is, is that I didn't, I, and I was scared and I, you know, I just kind of repeated mantras to myself and kept myself really focused. And thank God my anesthesia that day was fantastic. And I'm so grateful for good (laughs) anesthesiologists. Um, and just, you know, we, a lot of people take it for granted to be conscious for the birth of your child, but it was a really big deal for me. So even though it, it was an imperfect cesarean, but it was still improved and, um, and still healing in that way. That's great. So what else, so
1: now that it's passed in your three months out, how, how are you feeling about
2: things? Um, yeah, so I, overall, I, I feel good. You know, I, and and the part I didn't add to my birth, which is crazy is that after I, about an hour after the surgery, I had a severe hemorrhage. Okay. Uh, so Let's just when I, I like thought I was out of the woods and I'm like, okay, I did it. You know, like, wow, I just stood in the same place that I had been before. That that was my fear and I conquered it. And I was, and I have my, my beautiful baby. Um, I, I had a severe hemorrhage, which was something that is was completely not on my radar. I had no particular risk factors for it other than that a cesarean can be one risk factor. Um, But I knew nothing about them. And, you know, thank God for whatever nursing um, staff member who said, you know, she's looking kind of gray. (laughs) And then they checked my blood pressure and it was like plummeting (laughs) and I was losing, you know, mass amounts of blood. Uh, so I, I did end up needing what's called a Bakri balloon. To um, it's a procedure where they put a balloon on the uterus to help it contract, and I had a few blood transfusions. Oh wow! Um, yeah, so it was a it's pretty severe. You know, like the next step is is hysterectomy if that doesn't work. So I mean, literally, I had a a, a dangerous complication in the second birth, and yet I am far less traumatized by that birth than the first one, because I, I understood so well what was happening and I trusted my team and I was much more empowered the whole time. Um, not that you can be entirely empowered in a hemorrhage. I'm not saying I controlled anything, but um, I, I know that nothing happened to me that that wasn't, that, that could have been prevented is I guess what I'm saying. I mean, hemorrhage itself is a little bit of a mystery. Um, but I look back and know that things happened the way they happened and it's disappointing. You know, it's, it's sad and it will impact on future birth decisions, I'm sure, but everybody did the best that they could. And I have an amazing, beautiful baby. Uh, so I'm ultimately, you know, it's, it's sad, it's disappointing, but I'm accepting and I'm grateful.
1: And also it seems like having the knowledge and being part of the decision-making also impacted. We know that birth rarely goes as we envision, but when you understand what's going on and you're part of the decision-making, many people feel more satisfied. So that's that's what I'm hearing.
2: Yeah, I'm definitely with... Um... With the decision for cesarean, I mean, it's not like I'm the one who called it, but it was pretty darn clear that my team had given me a really long time with pushing. I had pushed for several hours, um, which, you know, in a hospital setting, that's a long time. And I could hear the heart rate. And it was like, like (laughs) the sound was disturbing to me. Mm -hmm. And they were trying, they tried so many positions with me. You know, we tried using like, you know, the rebozo to kind of like jiggle things into a different, a different position. And I chose this practice because I knew if I, if I had a surgery again, it was because I really needed to have one. Mm -hmm. So of course I can ask myself, like, there's this tiny question sometimes, like, should I have pushed longer? Should I have asked to push longer? But I mean, come on at a certain point, like, and that comes with its, with risks as well. You know, so I really, yeah, having trust in the team and and not feeling like anything was pushed on me, right. but just, I didn't even have to make the decision because it was so clear to me that the decision being made was the right one.
1: And you made the decision to go with a practice that you trusted because exactly. unless we as birthing people go in, obviously with the medical background, we're not really making you know those type of decisions like cesarean or not, but by making the decision early on to find a practice that you can lay your trust in so they make these decisions can bring a sense of confidence that you're not second guessing yourself. So you you were part of the decision-making on that part. So I I do have a couple more questions. I want to ask about how you're hoping that sharing your story, what new and expectant parents can learn from this. We're going to take another break and we come back. I definitely want to hear what you're hoping they take away from this. Okay, we'll be right back. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. Okay. We are back. So these are two pretty, pretty extraordinary birth stories, and I'm so glad to hear that you are feeling so empowered and, and courageous from them And and on the other side. So what are you hoping new and expectant parents can learn from your stories?
2: So the first one is something you just addressed, which is the power of knowledge and choosing your team Um, that, you know, I, the second birth was despite being so, you know, (laughs) crazy and something that could have been so traumatic was so much less so because I had every bit of knowledge I could have, and I had that power of choosing my team. So the first thing I would say is just to really choose your team carefully and learn about birth and know what your priorities are for birth. Um, and of course, some people are way more laid back about it, and that's fine too, but um educate yourself because sometimes you think you don't have a preference. And then I talk to, I talk to parents who after the fact are experiencing trauma, like me the first time, because they didn't know what they didn't know. So, um, in this case, I really think that knowledge can be power and that choosing your, a team that serves your beliefs is power. Um, the second thing I would say relates to how we listen to traumatic birth stories, and I, you know, I, I know that we we like a story with a happy ending, and when we hear something that's uncomfortable or awkward, right, the tendency is to try to resolve it. And like the classic line is, "like Oh, but you had you had a, you had a healthy baby, like healthy mom and baby. That's all that matters, right?" Like I'm sure you you know that, mm-hmm. and. I just think, you know, really to give pause to responding that way and to realize that for somebody who's been through a traumatic birth, you know, a healthy baby may not have been enough. Of of course, of course, of course, we all want a healthy baby. Um, Nobody should ever have to know the pain of, of the alternative, but birth trauma can really impact a person's life for a long time. And I I know that from speaking to other people who've been through it. And I just described one situation, but there are all kinds of triggers that can be involved in birth that, that aren't just about somebody being picky or, you know, being overly idealistic, but really might relate to deep things that have happened in their lives. And so I would just encourage people to, to try to, um, Uh, reserve that impulse a little bit to, to feel like you have to respond right away or that you have to try to spin the story positive and listen and, and say, I'm sorry that happened to you, or, you know, just let the people tell their story. Um, because, you know, really that, that non-attachment and, and non-judging is so helpful (laughs) and, and it's, and it's kind of what parenting and yoga are about too, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) So I guess I never I never came back and it's my fault about
2: how are you now three months later? Um I'm doing pretty well. I mean I, I will say so, so I didn't foresee a pandemic happening. <laughs> um Yeah. I gave birth in January. (laughs) So, right. I didn't, I don't have special powers that divined that (laughs) happening. Wow. So, I mean, it's been pretty intense, you know, right around the, I think at at my six week postpartum visit, I got the okay to start some light exercise. And I'm, I'm a very, um, I'm usually a pretty fit person. I'm a yoga teacher. I was really excited to get back into my workouts. And I was like, you know, I'm doing really well managing both kids. And then, I found out that my husband was going to be working from home and that we were going to be social distancing and, and everything. So. Um, I'm doing well, you know, but like everyone else, I'm adjusting to my new normal. Um, I actually feel grateful that at least I had that initial six or so weeks to recover um, because I can't imagine what it would be like to come home now and have my toddler home and not be able to have any extended family visit. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, I'm doing really well. I would say like intellectually, there's some future concern about, um, the hemorrhage and, and whether that could happen again with a future birth. And that is something that I'm going to need to spend some time on medically and that I'm going to need to make some decisions about um, regarding my next birth. But um, overall, I, I feel good and I I feel healed.
1: I'm really glad to hear that. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you feel that new parents, um, any tip or piece of advice or
2: anything from your story that you really want to highlight? Um, this, yeah, this is this kind of, we didn't really talk about parenting today so much, but, but this is a tip that can be, I mean, it can be true for parenting. it It can be true for birth preparation and, it's funny coming from me because I'm a huge researcher, but I would just say to be comfortable using your intuition. And I say that as someone who's like really type A and loves to research, and I think nowadays we're all we've all become like researchers because there's there's Google and there's so many different online groups, and those are such a great resource. But sometimes you just have to step back and like feel what your body is telling you and make decisions um, with that feeling and not with that, what anyone else is doing. So I guess that's my way of saying like knowledge is power, but intuition is a type of knowledge and to try to lean into that, um, in your birth and, and in your parenting.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time and and your bravery to share your stories because sometimes when we feel like it was a challenge, we don't always share that. And I think it's so incredibly uh, wonderful how vulnerable you allow yourself to be to share. That way other people can hear that sometimes there have been challenges and that there's getting to another side and also learning. So I really appreciate that today. Thank you.
2: Thank you. I love your podcast, so it was really fun to talk to you. (laughs) Thanks. All right. Enjoy your day. Take care. Thanks so much. Take care.
1: This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.
0: Plus.